Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. In just weeks, in fact, a number of days, maybe you've already voted or you're about to vote, we will cast our votes across the nation in elections that are very significant, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade in June, we see before us the opportunity to implement very strong pro-life laws or to pass very pro-abortion, radical pro-abortion on-demand laws. In fact, in the states of California, Michigan, and Vermont, I've been talking about this, there is a amendment to the state constitution that is a proposition that you, if you're in California, Michigan, or Vermont, have the opportunity to vote on. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about these amendments to the state constitution. We know that it's abortion on demand. We know that it's a matter of free abortion, but what about all of the deregulations of abortion? And what about the big surprise that many people didn't realize was coming, and that is the implementation of cross-sex hormones and surgical procedures for minors with no parental consent. We'll talk about what those are, why they're so significant. I was reading this week the Alliance Defending Freedom legal memorandum that explains exactly why these so-called reproductive freedom ballot initiatives, measures, propositions, whatever you want to call them, to amend the state constitution are creating a license for any, not pregnant woman, any individual, no matter what age, without any parental consent or even a parent being notified to do whatever they want with their body. From abortion and contraception, which is already a norm in the, in the United States, to cross-sex hormones, literally puberty-blocking drugs that prevents the body from continuing from continuing to function in the natural human development that a young adolescent is still going through. Now, maybe you're not in the state of California, Michigan, or Vermont, but that doesn't matter. Who you vote for matters. That we are seeing people that are pro-life, that are pro-religious freedom, that are pro-marriage. Pro-religious freedom is really important because that means that we can actually conduct ourselves according to our religion. This so-called fake reproductive freedom ballot measures that we see in California, Vermont, and Michigan are scary because it violates religious freedom. It actually says that you and I cannot work in accord with our conscience. So if I am in the healthcare profession and I don't want to perform abortion, I could get fired if these amendments pass in Michigan, California, and Vermont. Not only that, if I'm a Catholic running a Catholic hospital, I can't hire to mission, staying consistent with the mission of being pro-life and not providing things such as abortion, hormonal contraception, so-called cross-sex hormones, and so-called gender affirmation surgery that is really just bodily mutilation. So we'll talk about that later on today when I talk about how important this election is. From the propositions we're voting on in Michigan, California, and Vermont, to who you vote for. It's time to speak up, stand up, have the tough conversations, blast that horn in person on social media to make a difference because the voices are being silenced that are telling the truth. And this is truly diabolical what we are seeing done to children and minors, removing the rights of parents, even the parents' opportunity to educate their child 
and what is right, reasonable, and a part of the fundamental human flourishment of the human body, and ultimately happiness. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is Dr. William Lyle. He is an OBGYN. In fact, he's even served as an instructor both at the University of Florida and Florida State Medical School as an OBGYN residency for the program. You can find him at ProLifeDoc.org. He's known as a pro-life doctor. We're going to talk about parents' rights, bodily integrity, patients' rights, bodily integrity, and chemical abortion, which is the most common type of abortion performed today and will only be on the rise as we see restrictions placed in various areas on outlawing abortion. We're also going to dive into the fact that if these state amendments to the Constitution are passed, giving unfettered access to abortion, that in fact we're going to see women's health care absolutely plummet in the name of abortion. Expanding access to abortion on demand provides no common sense restrictions on the basic medical standards that should be in place to help keep women's health care healthy. And in fact, they're all being written away with these state amendments to the Constitution that you and I have the opportunity to say no to. And even our pro-abortion friends and family members can actually agree with us that this isn't something they believe in or support because they're pro-woman, right? They actually don't want this if they are told what it actually is. So stay with me. We need no votes in California, Michigan, and Vermont on the constitutional amendments. I'll tell you what they are and more. And if you can't stay with me the full hour, if you need to send this to a friend, relevantradio.com forward slash trending is where you can catch this podcast episode or wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio Now. Dr. William Lyle is with me again. He's an OBGYN. And Dr. Lyle, I have been following your work. I came across you more recently. And you talk a lot about the importance of understanding in this current debate, patients' rights and bodily integrity. Can you share with me some of the very, very uh, wise ways you see that relating to this younger generation who wants absolute uh, coverage of medical care for all patients, no matter what, how talking to them can actually help bring them around to the pro-life position? Oh, happy to. Uh one of the questions I will start with, with say I'm having a discussion with medical students, is if I have a patient in my office that needs a life-saving blood transfusion, if they don't get a life-saving blood transfusion, they will die, but they were not born in the United States. Do I have a moral and legal obligation to provide them access to that life-saving blood transfusion? And usually they'll nod their heads and they'll say, okay, what if I have a patient in my office that needs open heart surgery? And if they don't receive open heart surgery, they will die. But again, they were not born in the United States. Do I have a moral and legal obligation to provide them access to this life-saving open heart surgery? even though they weren't born in the United States. And the students will usually say, listen, it doesn't matter if they were born in the United States. A patient is a person is entitled to respect and bodily integrity, and you need to provide them access to this health care. I say I agree with you. The only detail that I left out was that when I said they weren't born in the United States, the full truth would be they were not born in the United States yet. And that is a huge key because we are routinely treating babies in the womb as patients. At my hospital, we have done blood transfusions directly to babies in the womb as early as 18 weeks gestation. Cleveland Clinic just published an amazing series of surgeries where they did open heart surgery on a baby at 27 weeks gestation to remove a tumor from its heart that was wow. affecting the, the life of this baby. But this was the real key. When they made the mom got anesthesia and she had an epidural, and then they made an incision in her abdomen, then they made an incision in the uterus, in the womb, and then when they made that incision, they brought out first the right arm and then the left arm so they could get exposure to the baby's chest. Oh, but this is where... I know. This is where they really outdid themselves. When they had the two arms exposed on the outside, the pediatric anesthesiologist actually started an IV in the baby's arm. Wow. The baby was receiving 
um, fentanyl, one microgram per kilogram as an anesthetic. The baby was receiving IV fluids and the baby was receiving Norcuron. It's a paralytic, so the baby wasn't moving around during the open heart surgery. So mom had her anesthesiologist that was managing and controlling her pain and fluids. Baby had its own pediatric anesthesiologist that was controlling. And then they did the surgery, amazingly successful, and the baby was delivered by C-section 10 weeks after it had open heart surgery. And that baby's name was Rylan, and baby Rylan is doing well. So if we can do blood transfusions, open heart surgery, and now even spina bifida surgery, mm-hmm. and even now stem cell repairs of the, of the spinal cord in the womb, then they are without a doubt a patient. And the first term that we are introduced to in medical school is a Latin term called prima non nocere, and that means first of all, do no harm. The second thing we're taught is a patient is a person is entitled to respect and bodily integrity. Well, we, if we are doing all of these procedures to babies in the womb, clearly they are patients. Mm-hmm. And if they are patients and they are persons and they deserve our protection. That's incredible what you just shared with us about the story of baby Rylan. And we've seen images. I hope you've seen images. And if you haven't, these are probably some of the most powerful images you can share on social media of some of these fetal surgeries where literally the baby, like you just described, Dr. Lyle, is half out of the womb. The arms are out of the womb. The baby's receiving the IV. Like you said, it's receiving a medication to kind of give it a level of paralysis so that the procedure can be performed. It's being given pain management. Again, babies feel pain in the womb. It proves all of this humanization, this personal dimension of the baby that the pro-life movement has been talking about for years. And science is proving today through our medical technology and intervention for these babies who need blood transfusions, heart transplants, spinal bifida surgery, all of what you're talking about, how incredible this baby is. And that the only difference between that baby in the womb and a baby outside the womb or a 25-year-old or a 50-year-old is location and that the location of that baby is right where he or she should be because they're dependent upon their mom at a certain level just as a one-year-old or five-month-old is dependent upon their parent for a certain level of care similar to a 70 or 90-year-old at a certain point in their development and stage in life as well. And so it goes to show all of these pro-life arguments we've been hearing for years coming together in these incredible examples. I remember Dr. Lyle a few years ago, uh, friends of mine had twins and the twins, they were able to see via ultrasounds and everything in the womb that the twins actually were growing together. And so they actually went in and did a laser surgery to uh, take the, to split the two twins apart. And it was successful. No abnormalities, no deformities. It was incredibly successful. The babies were able to continue to develop after that early surgery in utero. And so we're talking about, again, these patients' rights that you're mentioning that with abortion are absolutely being denied today. If there's something wrong, nor it's normative that the physician actually advises that someone aborts in cases where someone would need medical care for their child in utero. Correct. There's another great example. As long as we're talking about twins, have you ever heard of delayed interval delivery? No. Okay. It happens with twins. And what happens is we had a case where mom was 25 weeks pregnant with identical twin boys that each had their own placenta and each had their own sac. Yes. Mom broke her bag of water and she came into the emergency room and she delivered baby A. Baby A went to our $70 million neonatal intensive care unit. Meanwhile, we were able to stop the labor that mom was experiencing. Baby B had its own placenta. Baby B had its own sac. And our maternal fetal medicine doctors, our high-risk obstetricians, talked to her and they said, we have two NICUs. We have a neonatal intensive care unit with all the doctors and nurses and technology, and it does a good job but we have a better one, which was designed by God, and that is your womb. And right now, your second twin is still in the womb, and we'd like to keep that baby in that environment. We then offered her antibiotics. We gave her steroids, and the purpose of steroids is to mature the baby's lungs, protect the baby's brain, protect the baby's bowel. 
And if we can get 12 hours, that's good. We get 24, that's better. We get 48, that's even better. There have been cases where baby A has been delivered in June and baby B has been delivered in August. I was just reading of a case, they were six weeks apart. Well, here's the, I mean, the science is, I mean, they're going to be six weeks apart. They might even be in different school years as identical <laughs> twins. Yes. But here's the amazing, I mean, the science is cool. The medicine is cool. But this is where it makes no sense. The baby that is over in the neonatal intensive care unit and is doing well with the doctors and nurses and technology has legal protection, and you can't just kill that baby. Meanwhile, it's identical twin that was conceived from that same moment, one egg, one sperm, and before day 13, that, that singleton pregnancy dividing the two identical copies of identical twins. How does one identical twin that's in the NICU have full rights just as if I was in a cardiac care unit, yet it's identical twin that's still in the mother's uterus 100 feet away has no rights. And if mom happened to live in a state where abortion is legal on demand at any gestational age, mom could legally say, you know, I really didn't want twins. I really only wanted one baby. She could legally leave the hospital, go to the, one of those abortion clinics, and could legally abort the identical twin that just happened to be remaining in her womb. That's a phenomenal example, again, of bringing those pro-life arguments full circle. I'd heard some stories of that, but that's something we need to remember. Delayed interval delivery. A baby, twins, one delivered early, one delivered days, weeks, months later, like you said, could even put them in different school years, but are identical twins. One has rights because they're in utero. The other has rights but does not have rights because in utero and then the vice versa because they're out. I think that that's a phenomenal example, Dr. Lyle, of the humanity, the personhood of that patient that you are so well advocating with regard to patients' rights, as this is such a debate, especially with illegal immigration and all of these things that we're seeing of really bringing the human dimension of medical care to the individual person, including the child in the womb. I agree. I mean, personhood was an argument that was used for years, but it was kind of really difficult to get your mind around, well, what is personhood? We all know what a patient is because every one of us has been a patient at one time in our life. And our college students and our medical students are very focused on rights. My rights, my rights, my rights. Well, we're defending patients' rights. And when you say not born in the United States, the immediate assumption is that somebody makes this, oh, you're not going to work in w with them because they were born in another country and they're here and they weren't documented. No, they just weren't born in the United States yet. And so we can take that same attention and those same rights and apply it to the preborn. That is fantastic. Dr. Lyle is here with us. He's an OBGYN. He's even taught and training the future of our medical students, medical professionals in the state of Florida. Dr. Lyle, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the RU46 chemical abortion. Sure. We know that over 50% of, well over 50% of all abortions today are RU46 chemical abortion, really only supposed to be used up until a 10 to 12 week mark, but we know we've got a lot of evidence. I've seen it in the crisis pregnancy centers that these women are taking it much, much later. It's disgusting. Women are literally given a set, a couple set of pills. They're told flush don't look because they will pass a baby, even though they try to argue that the baby's just assumed in the body or is in a clump of tissue. But these women are traumatized, giving birth to these babies at home, in college dorms, wherever they might be. Let's talk a little bit about RU486. You explained so well what it is, the connection to decreasing progesterone, cutting off that access for the development of the baby. Can you share with us a little bit for those who maybe don't quite understand what a chemical abortion is and maybe those who think that it's not as significant as a surgical abortion? Absolutely. Well, first, let's define the difference between an, the abortion pill and the morning after pill. I mean, the morning after pill can be evil as well. The morning after pill will force a woman to have a menstrual cycle. So it's indicated for a woman to swallow the morning after pill the morning after she's had intercourse and might not have used some sort of birth control. Well, it will force her to have a menstrual cycle. She doesn't even know if she's pregnant or not. 
Compare that to the abortion pill, which is indicated for up to 10 weeks into the pregnancy. Most of my patients, when they come in for a new pregnancy visit for their first ultrasound, are maybe six or seven weeks along, and we're seeing that heart beating very strongly. So this is up to 10 weeks, and yes, there are studies up to 10, 12, and even 14 weeks gestation. But the difference is that with the abortion pill, baby's 10 weeks, move it around, fingers, toes, you can hear and see, and hear the heartbeat and see the heart beating. How does it work? It works by blocking a very important hormone called progesterone. When a woman becomes pregnant, lots of changes are happening. And the quarterback, uh, the coach, the you know, uh, conductor of pregnancy is a hormone called progesterone. And when you have big words, you break them down. Progesterone is actually the progestational steroid hormone. It's the hormone that tells the body, congratulations, you are pregnant. We have a new full-time job. We're going to divert more nutrition to the uterus, more blood supply. We're going to relax the uterus so it can grow. We're going to keep the cervix closed, and we're not going to have a menstrual cycle. Everything that's good Mm -hmm. about a pregnancy is, is led by the hormone progesterone. The abortion pill, mifepristone, RU46, it has lots of different names, but its basic mechanism is it blocks the signal of progesterone to the body. So the body would go, hey, congratulations, we're pregnant. And then they take the abortion pill, and it's like, I could have sworn we were pregnant. (laughs) I guess we aren't pregnant. Right. Right. Well, and then you take that up to 10 weeks, and then 24 hours later, you take a medicine called Cytotec. Cytotec causes contractions. So the first pill, the abortion pill, will withdraw all the support, and then the next pills will cause contractions, and it doesn't just dissolve the baby that's on the inside. The woman still needs to pass the baby. The mother still needs to pass the placenta, all the fluid, everything that when you look up on an ultrasound and you can see there's a big black circle and there's a white baby on the inside, there's movement, that all needs to pass, and they need to have the contractions to get that to pass. So the question is, well, People make bad mistakes all the time. People take fentanyl. People take heroin. They take narcotics. We have antidotes when they make that bad decision. And what's really amazing is that we actually can reverse the effect of the abortion pill. When a woman takes the abortion pill, and we have lots of patients that have regrets. Mm -hmm. I have taken two calls now actually from the parking lot of the abortion clinic where the woman was all sure that this was going to help fix all of the the anxiety, the pressure, and the fear that she had was to take the abortion pill. And all of a sudden, she's like, what have I done? So we have, I have personally attempted to give the antidote to reverse the effect of the abortion pill 16 times now, and we have been successful. Healthy mom, healthy Praise baby, God. 12 mm-hmm. out of those 16 times. So do women have regrets? Absolutely. And we see them all the time. We have a network called abortionpillreversal.com. We have trained 500 doctors and clinicians on the antidote to the abortion pill. We have, we are coming up now on documented abortion pill reversal and healthy baby Mm -hmm. number 4,000. We'll cross that Mm -hmm. probably in November or December. So how do we reverse the effect of the abortion pill? Well, We use a pill that we use all the time in normal, healthy pregnancies, which is called Prometrium, which is progesterone. So if you have progesterone that is being blocked, we overrule that by giving more progesterone. It's kind of like if somebody makes makes an error and they take, instead of taking two units of their insulin in the morning, they take 22 units of their insulin and they're glucose levels are dropping. Well, what are we going to do at the hospital? We're going to give them glucose so it gets back up to normal again. They made a mistake. They took too much insulin. Their glucose is dropping. We need to bring it back up again. The exact same um, truth is with the abortion pill. They made a mistake. Their progesterone levels are dropping. So we replace those progesterone levels to protect and save the life of that baby. Mm -hmm. It's a story of redemption. Um, When we do do that, we bring the normal progesterone levels up and the baby, the, the pregnancy continues. But we use progesterone for patients all the time. Mm-hmm. We use it. If somebody got pregnant, they had a miscarriage. Then they got pregnant and they had a miscarriage. They probably have a condition called luteal phase defect where their body, for whatever reason, is not producing enough progesterone. Right. So we supplement the next pregnancy with progesterone and we can have healthy pregnancies. We use progesterone to prevent preterm labor. I mean, Mm -hmm. all of my patients that triplets and quadruplets, we give them progesterone and we Mm -hmm. keep that pregnant 
pregnancy going. So we use progesterone in other normal pregnancies. This medication, Prometrium, is made from yams and soybean. It is the exact same chemical structure that a woman's body makes. And we can save the lives of those babies, which, I mean, I've delivered triplets, I've delivered quadruplets, and I remember their names, but I don't even remember all the names of the twins that I've delivered because there have been so many. But I can tell you the names of all of my patients that we gave the abortion pill reversal to and then had the privilege of following those pregnancies and delivering those babies. And as you said, thousands of these babies are living today, over 4,000. I had the honor of when abortion pill reversal first came out, uh, we had our doctor, Dr. George Delgado, who I worked with in San Diego, had the opportunity to help with the first marketing materials on this. And it was phenomenal because I remember we saw one baby, two baby, a couple hundred babies. These lives were being saved and the babies were completely healthy. That's Dr. William Lyle here on Trending with Timory. We're posting links on social media to all these resources. We'll be right back with Dr. Lyle here on Trending to talk about the amendments to the state constitution regarding abortion. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back. Joining me now is OBGYN Dr. William Lyle. He served as an instructor with both the University of Florida and Florida State Medical School OBGYN residency program. You can find him at ProLifeDoc.org. He's known as a pro-life doctor. How I didn't know about him before, I just stumbled across his incredible work recently. He is so candid and clear in breaking down the abortion issue, the pro-life argument, and backing it with sound medical science. Now, another neat part of his story, if you weren't with us before, you need to head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending and download this episode of Trending because it will help you in some of the strongest and most relevant arguments with regard to abortion that you might be having with people or maybe even working through yourself with regard to uh, medical integrity and patience and giving proper medical care to both mom and baby. As I've been talking about here on Trending, in just a matter of days, weeks, we're all going to be voting with some of the most important votes we will ever cast. And these votes are important because Roe versus Wade has been overturned and each state is battling over whether or not there will be permissive pro-abortion, free access, on-demand abortion through all nine months of a pregnancy, or pro-life restrictions, life-saving laws that protect mom and baby. I want to talk with Dr. William Lyle and OBGYN to talk about how we see three states right now, California, Michigan, and Vermont, all trying to pass constitutional amendments to give abortion on demand and for free, along with insane, insane so-called reproductive rights by giving access to anything from a baby and a toddler to a 15-year-old to so-called change your sex, get gender affirmation surgery, cross-sex hormones. We'll talk about that part a little more later. We've been blowing the whistle on this. We need a no vote in California, Michigan, Vermont. California, it's Prop 1. Michigan, it's Prop 3. Vermont, it's Prop 5. We need no votes for a life-saving and changing uh, dimension there in those states. So you need to sound the whistle, blow the horn. We'll talk about them more in just a moment. I'll break down these bills. But Dr. Lyle, I wanted to talk to you about uh, what we're seeing in some of these bills with regard to anything from basic medical standards and restrictions to medical licensing and uh, even the requirement of a physician performing the abortion. I know part of your story is that you actually actually a practice in a facility that used to be an abortion clinic. And you even demonstrate uh, with the abortion um, tools and instruments and machines that were used, uh, you show what abortion is. So let's talk a little bit about medical standards with propositions one in California, three in Michigan, and five in Vermont. These are going to lead to decreased medical standards and even just basic sanitary conditions. The ability to fit a gurney down the hallway in order to make sure that a, a woman is transported without you know, her spine or anything being moved. And these very simple uh, ambulatory regulations that would normally be a part of any outpatient surgery center are being thrown out the door with a lot of these pro-life laws and these particular constitutional amendments. Can you talk a little bit about them? Well, with these pro-abortion changes, bottom line, it's about rights. When it comes to our rights, our patients have rights. 
Our rights don't come from our government. Our rights come from God. The duty of good government is to protect the rights, protect the rights of women, protect the rights of the babies on the inside. There has been a very concentrated and deliberate effort to provide abortion. It's that push. It doesn't matter if it's compromising the mom's health. The push is for abortion. Um, Safety is compromised. We had an abortion clinic here in town that is no longer here that was actually, quote unquote, sterilizing their equipment in a regular kitchen uh, dishwasher, not in an autoclave. Uh, if you make one mistake in a lot of surgical uh, you know, uh, centers, you can be shut down immediately. We had a local abortion clinic that had three horrible events where women, one woman had a uterine perforation where they made a hole in her uterus. Mm-hmm. She had to have a hysterectomy, had to have her uterus removed. She'll never have another baby again. Another where they put a hole in the uterus, and when they were still pushing around for their their procedure, they actually damaged the woman's bowel, and she had to have a section of her bowel removed. And then there was another one that had such massive transfusion that she had to go to the hospital and have massive amounts of blood transfusions. Even though this was happening in a short amount of time, it took a lot of effort to get the state of Florida to pull the license of the doctor that was doing these procedures. Any other facility had had a bad outcome like that, they'd have been shut down that day. It wouldn't take three strikes. It is really, you know, an effort to just get more abortions. And we have to think of, at its very core, at its foundation, what is abortion? And the way I look at it is that if you've ever seen somebody burn the American flag, well, why would they burn the American flag? Well, they can't destroy the United States, but they hate the United States. So they will burn the image that represents the United States, which is the American flag. They'll burn it and they'll step all over it. At its very core, at its very foundation, abortion is a reflection of a hatred towards God. Well, you can't destroy God. So what is this movement of people who are pushing abortion so much doing? They are trying to, just like the American flag, they are trying to destroy the image of God. It was not us that gave babies in the womb the title of being created in the image of God. That's from from God himself. In Genesis one twenty six. after creating all of the universe, the earth and all the mammals and the birds and the seas and the rivers and the plains, God said, let us make man in our image. So at its bottom core, abortion is an attack against that image of God because there are so many who hate God. So this is not a battle of choice. We have to remember this is the greatest spiritual battle of our lives. And if we are going to engage in this battle and we are going to win this battle, we have to use our spiritual tools, which are going to be prayer and it's going to be the gospel and it's going to be scripture. That is how we are going to be victorious. So when states are making compromises on the health of women, then we have to realize that this is a spiritual battle and we have to influence all of the people that live in these states and make not just abortion numbers low, but to make abortion unthinkable because of what it actually is doing. It is destroying the image of God and it is taking a life in the womb. Mm. Dr. Lyle, I'm so glad that you're pointing to the spiritual significance of abortion. You know, we're here on Catholic Radio today. We're able to make that connection uh, and talk about, you know, the science and the faith and how they're consistent. But I know a lot of people's eyes are being opened right now as they're seen in these so-called reproductive freedom amendments in California, Michigan, and Vermont, where out of nowhere, people didn't realize this until more recently, although Vermont was very candid about the pro, um, you know, cross-sex hormones and uh, so-called sex changes, bodily mutilation is really what it is, uh, for minors in these bills. Again, for for toddlers, toddlers could go through with this. I mean, it's insane what they're putting into this in all three constitutional amendments. But it's, I think, opening people's eyes to the fact that Yet again, maybe they forgot, and I was talking to my mom about this this weekend, maybe they forgot how evil abortion is because it's been so normative in our culture. So many of us know someone who have had an abortion or maybe have had an abortion uh, themselves, and the spiritual battle is real, and I think Satan is so angry that we are taking that sacrifice of these human children that he's going after other children in other ways to mutilate, sterilize, and damage that image of God in their bodies to even say, I don't know who or what I am, whether I'm male or female, and all in the name of abortion, all in the name of you know these so-called rights that 
are just destroying the human person. And I think that people can wake up and recognize this is not real medicine. This is not women's health care. This is a low-grade standard of back-alley abortions that they claim were happening prior to Roe versus Wade. You are absolutely right. It is definitely a spiritual battle. I mean, when you look at what they're trying to inflict on children, it is child abuse. A child mm-hmm. cannot decide, well, my mom thinks it's okay if I get a tattoo or I want to get a tattoo on my forehead. You can't do that. This is something that is permanent. When you are taking something being created in the image of God, one of the first things we all knew when we were younger was whether we were a boy or a girl. If you can take out that foundation of what these kids stand on, then they will fall for anything. And so it is a spiritual battle. We need to be engaged. But we can also use this as a teaching tool on what it means to be redeemed, um, being bought back, what forgiveness is about. Um, you know, forgiveness is healing begins with forgiveness and true forgiveness only comes through Christ. So, you know, do we have millions of women out there who regret their abortions? We absolutely do. And it's not just outside of the church. It is within the church. But it's not just women. It is men as well. Do we need to hear the message from our pulpits that abortion is wrong? Yes, it is a sin. And it is, you know, destroying something that was created in the image of God at the moment of conception. But we also need to let them know that it is forgivable. With the example of that we just talked about, about abortion pill reversible, somebody made a bad decision and now that baby has a 98% chance of dying. Well, what do we do? My wife and I, we invest $109 in Prometrium. We are literally buying back the life of that baby to the best of our ability. Well, when we buy back, what's the spiritual word for buying back? That's redeemed. We all, 100% of us, were heading towards eternal death and eternal separation from God. Are we redeemed and bought back with $109 worth of a hormone called Prometrium? No. We were bought back. We were redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the real answer, sure, I love using the science. I love using the surgery. I love using the fetoscopy, the MRIs, the ultrasounds to show this person that is there in the inside of the womb. But the absolute real answer for this, especially as these states are making these constitutional amendments, the answer is going to be the gospel, because there's no doubt it is the gospel that changes hearts. It's the gospel that changes minds. It's the gospel that changes behavior. So if we're not going to hear the truth of the gospel and forgiveness and healing that is available through Christ Christ, we're not going to be successful. So our pulpits need to be engaged in this. I mean, look at the founding of this country. This country, the foundation was really founded in most of our pulpits. We need to get our pulpits to be bold. And we need to encourage our pastors, our priests, and our rabbis to be educated on abortion and to make a stand. You know, even Paul, and we need to pray for our clergy. Paul, when he was talking to the church and writing them a letter, he said, Pray for me that I would have the courage to speak as I must. I mean, this is Paul. Paul would go to a synagogue in a city, and then he'd get beat to a pulp and stoned. Paul would get up, and he'd go to the next city, and he'd have it done all over again. Here, Paul himself is praying for other Christians. Pray for me that I have the courage to, to speak as I must. We need to you know, discuss this with our pastor. We need to encourage him to speak the truth. And if they don't, we have to really think, is this the congregation that I want to raise my kids, that I want to be a part of, that I want to be tithing to? Is this you know, an issue that the church is engaged in? Other than sharing the gospel, I can't think of any other issue that the church needs to be more directly engaged And we need to educate them, make them feel comfortable on discussing this from the pulpit. And that's one of the things that we do with our ministry Mm -hmm. is we educate the pastors, we educate the kids, we educate the the students on how to defend God's pre-born and why it is important to do such. This is why we need voices such as yours so clearly making, again, the medical, the scientific arguments, but the connection that at the end of the day, this is a battle of principalities and powers. This is a battle for souls and the greatest destruction of human life through abortion in the last century has led not just to the death of individuals, but the death of the soul for many people. So if maybe you are struggling with having gone through an abortion or you know someone who has please look into the resource hopeafterabortion.com. That's hopeafterabortion.com. No matter how long ago it was, days, weeks, years, decades, you deserve and need that healing. The lie of the culture has been so 
damaging through abortion that we need to heal that identity, that motherhood that has been damaged and lost, those relationships that have been severed uh, with child, with spouse, with, you know, intimate partners. And this is so important that we're talking about this. Dr. Lyle, thank you so much for joining us here on Trending. You can find Dr. Lyle, the pro-life doctor, at prolifedoc.org. That's prolifedoc.org. He has incredible videos and resources. In fact, just one, if you've not watched it before, go and watch his video on what a first trimester abortion is. He uses uh, the instruments from what was an abortion clinic that he took over, now doing pro-life work. I will post it now on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we've also tagged the pro-life doc there so you can follow him, follow his videos. You'll really educate yourself, form yourself to be able to engage in these conversations. This is how Dr. Lau does it. He studies, he researches, he pays attention, crafts arguments, and engages. And this is what we too are called to do. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're going to come back talking about votes, voting, how it's important in the weeks and days to come, especially with regard to abortion. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Elections, propositions, candidates, you might be tired of hearing or talking about all of it. It seems as if we've been in a perpetual election cycle since 2020. It doesn't it seem like that? I really do feel that we're always up on a very important, imminent election. But this one is very important, and here's why. Every election is important. We are all culpable. It's our civic duty. The Catholic Church is very clear on this, that we have a responsibility of faithful citizenship, to be involved politically, to actually be patriotic. These things are very important and near and dear to us as Catholics. Things such as religious liberty, human life, marriage, sexuality. Again, religious freedom is where it starts. All of us being able to actually live out our faith, not just within the four walls of our church, but in the public realm within our families, how we conduct and interact with our loved ones. This is why elections matter. Comes down to economics as well, what we are and are not able to do with our money, how this touches the family. Many people know today how the family has been impacted just by the economy itself. People are hungry. People are making massive changes to their budgets. I know we are with regard to everything from how much we drive to where we shop and how much we shop and if we eat out. And those may seem trivial things, but the bottom line is being hit for many people. But what I want to talk about with regard to elections coming up is what we've been discussing, and that is in particular abortion and sexuality. It all comes back to religious liberty at the end of the day. The truth of the matter is, is that who you vote for really does matter. What you vote for matters. We need to not be negligent when we go and fill out our ballots. I will be very clear with you. I cannot show up at the ballot box and fill out my ballot and be fully consenting and aware of what I am doing. This is why I get my absentee ballot. I fill it out the day of the election. I don't ship it in because of how things are counted. I go, I hand walk it in. I put it in with all of the other ballots that are being cast that day. It's important and significant. Uh, And you can do early voting as well. And we could talk about that uh, in the significance. But it's really important that we are taking the time to fill out and look through those ballot initiatives, understand the propositions, understand the attempted amendments to the state constitution. Who are these candidates on my school board, on my local board? Because the local elections, as well as the big ones such as president, really do matter. And often people don't even fill out the other details within their local community that they think doesn't matter, but it does. It really does. What's happening in your school district? What's happening in your local community does determine how we interact in our society, how we will choose and direct our lives and the lives of our children. I've been receiving ads over the last 
a couple of weeks for taking a pledge to support so-called LGBTQ people. Uh, the slogans are saying things such as, hate won't win. And I've actually been having this advertised to me on Christian websites. And so I click through and maybe I click through 20 or 30 times because I want their ad to go away and for people to stop clicking as well. <laughs> Is that bad? <laughs> I did it yesterday when I was really feeling frustrated that this ad kept coming up and I thought if I clicked it enough times, maybe it would no longer be on this website anymore. Uh, but that's sometimes what's scary about these radical pro-abortion, uh, anti-marriage, anti-life, anti-religious um, campaigns. They're very, very well-funded. And we can be well-funded too in our campaigns, but remember we have God on our side who is truth who is love, and who works miracles. This is why when we're talking about elections, action matters, being vocal matters, prayer and fasting really do matter. I mean it when I say that prayer and fasting matter. These are battles that we've been talking about for the soul of the individuals. It has been so striking over the last couple of years, as the anticipation of Roe versus Wade was imminent, the votes were there, everything was lining up in that direction the last couple of years, uh, Satan really raised his head in passing radical pro-abortion laws in various states. And then we saw Roe versus Wade overturned. And now we see these three constitutional amendments in California, Proposition 1, Michigan, Proposition 3, and Vermont, Proposition 5, all of which need a no vote in order for us to save lives from the radical pro-abortion agenda that's occurring. But it's not just a pro-abortion agenda, a pro-abortion agenda that would put abortion on demand in those states. An agenda that would make it so that it's virtually free. A check to the government prioritizing abortion over basic family needs, children's needs, or even single mom needs in that state. Basic food and housing needs that some people might need. And again, regardless of what you think about government programs, the reality is that since when do we prioritize funding to kill a person than to help someone who's suffering with food? We should be helping both. Uh, and definitely not killing one to help make sure that we don't have to pay for their needs later on, even though that's how some people think. But here's how ugly it has gotten. I think Satan is so angry that the pro-abortion movement is losing. As dark and bleak as some of these propositions in California, Michigan, and Vermont are that we need to vote no on, we're seeing that lives are being saved in droves. Look at what's happening in places such as Texas, places such as Florida, where strong pro-life laws are being upheld. But not just strong pro-life laws, strong laws pushing back against the gender narrative. So this is how upset Satan is. The bloody sacrifice of children through abortion is decreasing. People's eyes are being opened. Or the fact that the majority of America actually doesn't want abortion is actually showing that that's the truth of the matter, unless they're being lied to, such as in places such as California, Michigan, Vermont, and really all over the country, where they're trying to say, oh, well, this is just helping with basic access for women. No, it's not. These propositions are not helping with basic access for women. What these propositions are doing, and this is, again, where Satan is so upset that the decrease in the bloody sacrifice of abortion, that it's decreasing, is he's attacking the human person in another way, and he has been for years with this radical pro-LGBTQ agenda. It is in full swing across this nation. I've been talking to you about the pornographic books for years that have been in the school system. School systems, not just in California, in Ohio, and other places where little kids are literally watching gay pornography that is in cartoon form. I'm scandalized learning things that I don't even want or need to know, and I'm a married woman. And these are children who are looking at these pieces of content. Well, the propositions in California, Prop 1, Prop 3 in Michigan, in Prop 5 in Vermont, not only are so-called reproductive freedom giving access to abortion and free abortion to the state government and eliminating conscience rights where if a physician doesn't want to perform abortion, they're basically forced to. No, what these also do, and these so-called reproductive freedoms, they actually uh, are creating a so-called right 
to a person in the specific word is individual of any age to access abortion, contraception, sterilization, puberty blocking drugs. So if a little boy, a toddler is maybe not liking blue clothes and wants pink clothes instead, who are you as a parent to say that that kid can't receive some sort of bodily surgery for a different sex? How do you know? How can they tell you that they want to be a boy still? And I know I'm going to an extreme, but these words in these constitutional amendments are so broad that it would completely take away parents' rights, not just to determine medical choices for their children and with their children, but to even educate their children on the truth of the human person and the body. It is absolutely evil. It is evil and it is destroying and attacking the very identity of who children are, who adults are as male and female. And this is why this so-called Reproductive Freedom Act that we're hearing about in these various states, they're a lie. I was reading the Alliance Defending Freedom legal memorandum for the state constitutional amendment in California. I'm going to have to break it all down because how significant it is is serious. In fact, in California, and it's not just California, Michigan as well, and Vermont, we're actually seeing where they're going to try and force the state to help provide a woman who is willing to be a surrogate for a couple who is not able and capable to have children. Why? Because they're two people of the same sex and they can't have children together. So therefore, you need to provide a a surrogate under the state because this is about reproductive freedom. This is actually going to allow for increase in uh, sex trafficking and sexual abuse. Again, Puberty-blocking drugs, preventing the natural development of a child's body from functioning as it should, allowing for things such as bodily mutilation with so-called gender affirmation surgery. We need to wake up, speak up, post on social media, have those conversations because we know social media is being censored. Do not be afraid to tell the truth and go beyond casting your vote and researching. Have the tough conversations because most people... Even people who are pro-abortion do not agree with the constitutional amendment to completely give unfettered access to abortion. They want common sense rules, and they also don't want cross-sex hormones stopping the natural development for a child. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Join me for a weekly Gentleman's Hour. Gentlemen, fill in the blank. I'd like to help my wife with X. How do I help my wife with X? We'll talk about it here on Trending from a faith-filled perspective. One of the topics we'll discuss is how do you help your wife when she's struggling with her health, food, digestion, maybe even fertility. I've got some tips and tricks. I've been there. I get it. And gentlemen, you can make a world of difference in supporting your wife through these health and fertility struggles. Join me Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.